Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Welcome to Truth Set Free, our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Q&A program. It is recorded live on Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. with Pastor Matt Lewis and Steve Winery. You can view the live program at our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. You can text your questions to 707-872-7677 or email them to crosswalkradio at gmail.com. Hello, you guys. We're back. My name is Matt Lewis. This is Pastor Steve Winery coming to you live. Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities... True, set, free, question and answer. I got a bunch of questions, and so we're going to jump in here. Uh, if you have questions, please send them to me at crosswalkradio@gmail.com. You guys, if you want, can voicemail me, 707-872-7677. Tons of stuff going on. If you don't have our app, I suggest you get that. There's a bunch of stuff. Uh, you can also get on our website. We got a marriage retreat you guys can sign up for, a ministry conference you guys can sign up for, Upward Soccer. I didn't want to say a prophecy update was not recorded live, but it is being edited, and Michael's saying it'll be on site at 7 p.m. tonight. And that's what, Facebook and YouTube, Mike? Mm-hmm. So you guys can check out those two spots tonight if you uh, were looking for the prophecy update or didn't get a chance to go to it. Good to go? Yep. Okay, jumping in. This is my first question for this afternoon and it says this first thessalonians chapter 4 13 through 18 i'm wondering if there is the possibility of people being buried and asleep until the rapture because it says the dead in christ will rise just wondering because i know this is one of the things seventh day adventists believe as far as i've heard at least that people are asleep in the ground till then so i'd love clarification okay First off, when you're looking at that phrase, let me read it. I know that you already know the passage, but for everybody else. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it uh, says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. This is verse 13. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, uh, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so when you're, when you're looking at the, the phrase, those who are asleep in Christ, or those who are asleep, uh, what Paul's doing is he's quoting an idiom that Jesus gave. And that idiom is over in the book of John in chapter 11, when he's dealing with the whole issue with Lazarus. And basically what happens is uh, Lazarus is, Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus ends up waiting two days before he goes. And then in verse 11 of John chapter 11, Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. 
Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so that phrase, Lazarus is asleep, is an idiom for death. And so Lazarus is dead, is what Jesus says. And he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so when you're talking about these people, that idiom doesn't necessarily mean that um, these people are, are literally asleep in the grave. What the idiom means is that they're dead. Okay, And so then you go from there and you look to see what death is all about. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some passages. One, one of them is in the book of James, and the Bible defines death and makes it clear what death is and what death isn't. And so in James chapter 2 and verse 26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so death is defined in Scripture as the spirit leaving the body. The body without the spirit is dead. There's another passage in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 in verse 8. And that one says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Earlier on in verse 6, he says, We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And then he goes on to say, we're well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so you see that definition of, and he's talking about dying. And again, you see that definition of death as being absent from the body. So you're not in your body when you're dead, according to scripture. Uh, Philippians 1.23 is another passage where Paul is talking about whether or not it's great for him to die or to live on. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 1 of Philippians, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's talking about life and death. And then he says, For me to live, uh, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. And so where is he departing from? And again, he's talking about death. To depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And so that tells you right there where he's departing from. He's departing from his body, from his flesh. And so, again, the definition in Scripture is that death is a departure from the body. Later on in this passage, in verse 10, it says, uh, well, I'll start in verse 9 for context. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And so if I'm waking, I'm living with him. If I'm sleeping, and again, that's that idiom, if I'm dead, I'm with him. Either way, I'm with him. And so obviously in my body, I don't have his physical presence with me, but in my death, I depart and I go and be with Christ. So again, biblically, the definition of death is when your spirit leaves your body. If your spirit doesn't leave your body and it's just asleep in your, in, inside your body, biblically, you are not dead. And so somebody who's in a coma is not dead. 
right? And so on and so forth. Well, it would be the same thing if the soul was asleep inside the body. So uh, again, you have that. So uh, here's another one, thief on the cross. And so Jesus, the thief says, uh, he repents, tells the other thief to shut up, turns to Jesus and says, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says, amen, amen means it's verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, it's literally, so be it, so be it, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's the day that the guy died, right? And so, uh, again, the Bible, the Bible is not ambiguous about this. The Bible is clear about this. And so, taking an idiom that represents death and making that a literal sleeping is not good interpretation of Scripture. You have to take Scripture the way that it's taught. The reason that Christians talked about people being asleep in the Lord is because of the fact that we believe in a resurrection and that the body's not going to stay dead. And so every time I do a funeral, especially uh, if I'm doing a graveside, I'm talking about the fact that, yeah, we're burying this body, but it's not going to stay that way, that this body's going to rise. And talking again about this whole issue uh, it's just the body that's asleep. It's not the it's not the person that's even in the body. And again, you see that in the passage in First Thessalonians chapter four. It says, "If we believe that he talks about those who are asleep in verse thirteen, in verse fourteen, he says, "If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus." And so, if the Lord is bringing with him those who sleep in Jesus, where's the Lord coming from? And he's not coming from the local graveyard. He's coming from heaven, which is where those people are. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And that rising there is, is not a rising of their spirits, is a rising of their bodies. That's what a resurrection always is. It's a resurrection of the body. And so what you have is that when these people died, they went home to be with the Lord. And when Jesus comes back, he's bringing them back with him to go and get their bodies. And then their bodies are raised from the dead. Here's another one. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, when he's about to die, he sees Jesus standing up to receive him. And he says, Lord, receive my spirit. And so did the Lord receive his spirit or not? And again, you know, there you have it. Jesus died on the cross. Did Jesus stay in his body asleep for three days and three nights? You know, and again, the, the Bible's clear on that is not what was going on. And so that's, that's just an idiom. And the Seventh-day Adventists take that idiom in a way that's not meant in Scripture. As uh, the, the apostles, when Jesus first used the idiom, thought that Lazarus was asleep. And Jesus said, no, he's not asleep. He's dead, right? And so uh, the people, uh, the bodies of those who have died, they're not asleep. They're not inside their bodies. That's, you know, you got to depart to be dead. And so the body's not asleep either. It's dead. And it's going to rise from the dead. So, And the reason they do that soul sleep nonsense is because they teach that you cease to exist afterwards mm -hmm. if you're not a believer and all that stuff. So yeah. once you know that stuff, you can kind of see where it's going. Yeah. All right. I have uh, actually two questions about Melchizedek. So I'm kind of going to throw them okay. together here since we're going to be talking about the same thing in context. Here's the first one. 
In Genesis, we see priest and tithe mentioned for the first time. Also, this was the first description of a sacrament. Jesus was the order of Melchizedek. King David knew of it. What do we know or theorize about King Melchizedek, the order, and Salem? Salem being uh, the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so... And then, well, here's the second yeah, one. Okay. Was Melchizedek Jesus? Right. If so, why wasn't he called angel of the Lord like in all the other instances of Christ's Old Testament appearances? And if not, then who is the Melchizedek, King of Peace, Salem, one of Christ's many titles? So okay. you can kind of do all that. Yeah, there's some, some people who believe that Melchizedek is Jesus because Paul in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7 uses Melchizedek as a type of Christ. And so I'm going to read that. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And it uh, goes on and, and talks about the fact that Abraham submitted himself to Melchizedek and that because Levi came from Abraham, ultimately, it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Levi, but Levi came from Abraham. And so Levi was giving tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek. And then he finishes, finishes it off with a passage from the Psalms that talks about Jesus being after the order, uh, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's and out that's of in, Psalm 110. Okay. And yeah. you're in Hebrews 7? Hebrews chapter 7. Okay. Okay. So one, one of the things you need to keep in mind is when this is being written in the book of Hebrews, it's not saying that Jesus is Melchizedek. It's, it's using Melchizedek as a type of Christ. And so I don't believe that Jesus was Melchizedek because... The, the problem with that would be is Melchizedek has a history. He's the king of, he's the king of Salem. That's, Salem is Jerusalem before it became Jerusalem. And so he's the king of Salem. He's a priest there. He lived there. And so you'd have to have Jesus sitting in, in uh, uh, the city of Salem for, for years and years and years, uh, fulfilling the, the uh, whole thing issue with the priesthood of Melchizedek. So this is a type. And when it says that Melchizedek was without father, without mother, what the, what, this is rabbinical typology. And, and so the point that's being made is we don't know anything about his father. We don't know anything about his mother. We don't know anything about the beginning, his beginning. We don't know anything about the end of his life. And so that fits into the type of who Jesus is. He's, he's without father, without mother, without beginning, without end. And that's the, the point that, that's being made there. And again, so you have that. So when you, when you talk about Melchizedek himself, he's obviously a real guy. He's obviously somebody that Abraham respected. And he's obviously somebody that knows the Lord. When you read the passage back in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham is giving tithes to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is, of all things, bringing out bread and wine. And so great, again, great type of Christ there. And that's, that's what it is. It's a type of Christ. I don't believe that that's Jesus himself. If it had been Jesus himself, then when you get to chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, it talks about the Lord coming and speaking to Abraham. That is a Christophany or an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. 
And it doesn't say that that was Melchizedek that came up to Abraham at that point. And so uh, there's, there's kind of a disconnect there for those who think that Melchizedek is Jesus. And so again, that's my opinion. When we're talking about him being a priest and, and the whole issue of tithing being mentioned and that kind of stuff, one of the things that a lot of times we forget is that everybody got off the same boat. So when, when, you're, when you're at the time of Abraham, you're about 10 generations away from the flood. And so after the flood, uh, what took place is Noah and his sons got off the boat and then they began repopulating the earth. And so Noah had a relationship with God. Noah knew about righteousness and, and about sacrifice and, and about all of that. And that would have been passed down to Noah's children and grandchildren right on down the line. And uh, Melchizedek would have been one of the faithful that stayed true to following the Lord during that time between the flood and the time of Abraham. And so, you know, that's all he is. And again, Abraham considered him to be a believer. All righty. Okay, moving on. Next question. Is there a specific Bible or reference book that you would recommend for being able to see the Greek and Hebrew words to be able to study more in depth? You know, when you're, when you're, when you're talking about Hebrew words, what you probably need is a, is a good Bible program, uh, a good Bible study program. And so I've got, for, ex, for example, Lagos or Logos, is, I'm pronouncing it in Greek, but um, Logos, which is a Bible program that I can pull up on my computer and I can hit a button and I can see the Hebrew underneath the, the, uh, the English, and that's called an interlinear. And I can also uh, do the same thing in, in Greek. I can, I can see the Greek underneath the English, and, and I've got ways to flip that around so that actually I can read Greek. Uh, understanding is different from reading. You know, it's like I have an understanding of a third grader <laughs> when I'm just sitting down reading Greek. But I can read the words themselves, and I and I can um, I've I've got somewhat of a vocabulary, and so I can sit there and I can go through and read the words themselves. I I have never uh, studied Hebrew so that I, I I don't know the Hebrew. Well, I do know the Hebrew alphabet, but I haven't read it enough to to be able to sit down and just read a passage in Hebrew, and so I'm using uh, study tools with that too. In any case, that's called an interlinear. And so you can, you can find book interlinears that will do that for you. When you're talking about Hebrew, the Hebrew text is, is just the Hebrew text. When you're talking about Greek, there's basically two different styles of Greek text. And so you want to you wanna pick out an interlinear that's appropriate for that. But that, that's all done on Bible programs for you. And so you don't need the book. If you, if you don't have a Bible program and you don't want to spend the hundreds of dollars many times that you have to spend to, to, to get a decent one, then um, you can go to Blue Letter Bible, yep. and under the study tools, there's a banner up on the top, and you can click the, the study uh, button, and under the study tools, you have some books that are called lexicons. These are Greek and Hebrew lexicons, and so you have Brown Driggs and, oh, I can't remember the third guy, BDB, uh, basically, and you have Gesenius for the Hebrew, uh, both of those are for Hebrew, and then you have a, a number of uh, Greek lexicons uh, for the Greek. And the, the thing that's cool about this 
is you can you can also get those books in paper form or or hardback form. But what's cool about them is that they're tied to Strong's numbers. And so if you want if you want books and you want to be able to put this all together without a knowledge of Greek or Hebrew, you can get a Strong's exhaustive concordance. It's got n- numbers that are used for the Greek words and numbers that are used for the Hebrew words. And when you got, for example, a Thayer's or uh, some of the other Greek lexicons, or you've got a Gesenius for the Hebrew lexicon, their Strong's numbers are tied to that. And so you look up the, the word that you're looking at in, in the English, it will tie it to a strong number in Greek or in Hebrew, and you can go to these other books and you can, you can see what the definitions are of those words. And you can, see, you can even see the words written out in Hebrew and transliterated into Greek. That means letter for letter from Greek into, into or excuse me, translated, transliterated from Hebrew and Greek into English. And so letter for letter, letter giving you the pronunciation of, the, of these words. But that's all done on the, uh, on the Blue Letter Bible app by clicking on buttons. And so you can see this. So, so that's probably your best free way to get all that done. Yeah. Yeah. I do like Lagos the best, but you do pay for it. And then prices have gone up a lot in the last few years. Yeah. Um, BLB, you can also download an app on your phone. I will say that the one on the PC is better, I think. The phone, you can get to it, but it's a little bit harder to navigate, at least on my app. Uh, Esor is another one I use, but mm-hmm. it seems like BLB is a little more user-friendly if you don't have all the options. And some of the options on Esor cost money as well. Those Esor is free just for the basic download. So, And it's a lot faster than books. You know, when you're clicking on there and you mm-hmm. can... This is every one of those words that's in the Bible. It's really quick versus getting right, out yeah. your strongs, trying to track down the number and all that stuff. And if you have a good Bible program, for example, uh, my, my Bible program will do a word study. And so you can, you can literally click on the Hebrew word and it will put a, pull up every place that that word is used in the Bible and how it's translated. Yeah. Uh, and same thing with Greek. So Cool. Yeah. Hope that helps. All right, moving along here. Proverbs. Did the book of Proverbs originate from Babylonian, Greek, and Egyptian proverbs or sayings before the writing of Solomon? Question mark. I read a thing that tried to say these uh, sayings were already in existence. The answer to that is no. And probably what you're doing is you're conflating Proverbs and the, and the Babylonian stuff with Moses and the commandments and the code of Hammurabi. And... That's even that is problematic. Um, you do have codes of morality, and the ones that are most familiar are the Babylonians. Um, there are there are some with some with Greek when you're looking at some of the historical records, but uh, usually when you're looking at the these codes in in other places, for example, specifically the Babylonian, what you're looking at is, is something that is not exactly like what the Bible says. So, uh, for example, in the Code of Hammurabi, you have a situation where it talks about um, slaves. That's all the time we have for this week. If you have questions for Pastor Steve, email us at crosswalkradio at gmail.com or send us a text at 707-872-7677. God bless.
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.